I don't really sweat like that though, E. Just going to throw that out there. I mean, I'll put the towel back here just because I think it's cool, but I, I, I don't sweat, man. Not like that. I've seen you, man. Drips off your head, drips off your nose. I don't, I don't sweat. I might wipe a couple of times just to do it, but it, I don't usually. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Okay. Uh, Luke 15, if you have your Bibles, uh, let's get there. Uh, what a great way to, to just start the morning, uh, to come after the Lord and have him come right back after um, us. Um, I want to say um, thank you um, at, for having me. My name is Matt Chandler. Uh, I actually pastor a church in Dallas, Texas, um, and, and Pastor Eric and I are, uh, are good friends and growing friends and, and are a part of uh, several networks together. And so I, I love him and love this place and love what God's doing in this place and think that what God is doing in this place is somewhat special um, and has a great deal of potential to transform and shift things. Um, and so, man, I, I wasn't going to miss this. Wanted to come here. I know a lot of you, um, uh, just from the conference yesterday came up afterwards and said, you've been praying for me and, uh, said, you've been praying that God would heal me. And he would. And so I wanted to say thank you for that. And that at, up until this point in the game, the Lord has heard your prayers and answered in the affirmative. Uh, I mean, we literally just, uh, two weeks ago blew through a round of chemo with zero side effects. Um, and so I, I don't know what to do there except say that the Lord's hearing your prayers. Um, and, and this has been, I mean, it's been about as smooth as, as you can imagine. I mean, it's, it's been as a, smoother than brain cancer should be. So, uh, so I, I mean, I just, I'm, I want to point to the Lord on that and thank you for praying for me on that. And he's hearing those prayers. Um, and I still covet those prayers. So thank you for that. Um, okay. Luke 15 is what I want to talk. I want to try to cover the whole chapter. Um, I, I want to go into a little bit better detail than I was able to do in the nine simply because of time. Uh, but we'll get after this. Um, text. Now, um, I grew up in an interesting home. Uh, I, I don't know that I would call it a Christian home. My um, mother was a preacher's kid whose one great rebellion was marrying my father. Uh, okay, so she was a good girl and, until she met Big Steve, all right? Married Big Steve, and Big Steve was dark, okay? Uh, that bloodline was wicked as far back as you could take it. In fact, my great, 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 great grandfather uh, was hung for robbing trains, uh, and then it just kind of got darker leading up to my dad marrying my mom. And, and so I really am the, the first Chandler male, by the grace of God, to graduate from high school, the first Chandler male to get a college education, the first Chandler male not to spend significant time in jail. Okay, there was a night my junior year that I, that's just mine though. I hold on to that. I don't, that's not an illustration yet, all right? I, I might get to the day where that's an illustration, but we're, we're not there. So don't, don't ask me. Okay, don't, don't ask. Okay, I'll tell you. No, I'm not telling you. I'm not, that's just mine. So, um, so this is kind of the family I grew up in. Um, dad, was, um, dad was somewhat abusive, um, um, more so on other people in my family than me. Um, but, um, but it was there. Um, and so um, I, I learned in my house um, that I could keep kind of a, um, a gentle peace if I would just kind of do what my dad wanted and left him alone. And so if I just stay, out, just stay out of his way and do what he said, um, there was at least for a little season peace. Um, I, I could control it at some level by just doing that. Now, um, after Christ saved me, um, which was really when we, I mean, God moved us from California to Texas and I get a football locker um, right next to a guy who just ruthlessly and ferociously loved the Lord. I mean, literally came up to me after practice and said, hey, I'm going to talk to you about Jesus. When do you want to do that? 
didn't, didn't say, hey, let me tell you about the Lord. He said, look, I'm going to tell you about Christ. Where? Where? I'm going to let you tell me where it happens, but it is happening. So you want to do it after practice? You, you want to do it? You want to go out and have dinner one night? You wanna, how do you want to hear it? Because you're going to hear it from me. Um, and so loved God for that. And, and it, didn't, it took a couple of years for the Lord to really woo me. And, and call me in. I'm, I'm kind of cerebral. I need to know how things work. And I'm skeptic by nature. And, and for the record, I'd been around some Christians. If I can just throw that out there. Uh, I'd, I'd been around some Christians. Um, and really, I'd been around both sides of the, 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 the group. Okay, uh, I'd been with kind of the self-righteous do-gooders. And, and then I'd been with those who wore the what would Jesus do bracelet, but were um, loved the beer more than I did. Loved the women more than I did. Um, played with drugs a lot more than I did. Uh, and so, I mean, there, there was a level of confusion in me when it came to the faith um, that I didn't, because if I have to choose between this or this, I, I'll take neither. Okay, so the Lord woos me in and, I, and works me past all that over a couple of years. And then one day, just kind of the effectual call of God, I, I didn't need my quest, all my questions answered anymore. I don't know how to explain because I, I needed all my questions answered and then all of a sudden I didn't need all my questions answered. Um, and that, I think that's what happens when the Spirit just kind of quickens your heart to love the Lord in Christ. Um, and so now I, I don't need to, to know how this ties with this and how this ties with this and how this works itself out in this. How I just go, okay, I believe. Where are we going? Yeah, I, I believe. Where are we going? And, and so that, that, that was my journey. But, but here's what happened. Um, I was carrying into my relationship with Christ a worldview that was affected by my past. So so I'm coming in broken, and although Christ heals me in an instant, we've got a lot of work to do because it didn't take long for me to begin to operate with my heavenly father like I operated with my earthly father, which is let me do what you say and leave you alone, and and things will be cool. Um, and, And it took a while for the Lord to deconstruct that worldview in me and, and say instead, no, 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 I, I didn't just purchase your obedience, although I did, but I purchased you. So, so I want you. So the idea that the God of the universe didn't just want to save me, but wanted to walk with me, know me, love me, show love to me, that was a very difficult concept for me. Uh, I could get obedience. That's an easy concept. Don't do these things. Do these things. That's an easy concept for me to grasp. But that someone who is fully aware of everything in me from thoughts to motivations to actions who would still want to pursue me, love me, show me mercy and grace. That was very difficult for me because of my worldview to understand and bind because I just sure didn't get that at home. I didn't even get an attempt of that at the house. And, and so then to try to understand and grasp it was a, was a difficult thing. Now, here, here's what I'll say. Everyone in this room, I don't care who you are, I don't care if you're right here from Philly, you're from out of town, what your background is, everybody's walked into this room with, with certain lenses on. Um, you've walked in this room with certain lenses on, you see the world through those lenses. Um, and man, there, there literally could be dozens and dozens of them. I'm just going to cover kind of the big three. Um, so some of you have come in and you've got, um, you've got religious lenses on. And, and, and this is what I mean by that, um, that yes, there's a God and, and maybe that God is Yeshua. Maybe that God is Allah. Maybe that God is you, you, you're seeing through lenses, religious lenses. And here's how it looks. You, you've got a box of rules. And, and if you check all those boxes, you and God are good. And, and if you don't check those boxes, you and God are not. Um, and so you being connected to the almighty is completely on you. 
It's not on him, it's on you. You've got to behave in order for him to love you. And if you do behave, he loves you. And if you don't, he does not. Which makes you very fickle in, in your relationship with Christ. There are seasons where you're pressing in because you're nailing it. And then there's, there's seasons you're bailing because you're not. All right? And that's a religious lens. That's a religious worldview. And some of you have walked in here with that. In fact, l- let me be honest with you. Some of you call yourselves Christians who are not Christians because you're defining yourself differently. You're using the word Christian differently than it's used in Scripture and in history. Okay, you're a Christian because you do these things or because you come to church or because you don't drink like them or smoke like them or do that thing that they do. And that's how you're defining your righteousness. And, and by the way, that's just as wicked. And if we'll watch Jesus, maybe even more wicked... All right, then those pagans you're pointing to and going, mm-mm-mm. All right? Um, so let, I'll tell you why I love your pastor. Um, all over the, the country today, men are going to walk into pulpits and they're going to be cowards. They're, they're not going to unpack the full counsel. They're not going to get to the hard text. They're not going to walk the, the church through difficult circumstances. They're not going to do it. They're, they're going to be... They're going to... Um, God help them. I'm, I'm really not standing in any kind of judgment. I'm more um, pitying both the men and women that sit in front of them and their own souls that they haven't been set free from needing to be stroked and loved on by men so, so that they might speak truth and go, hey, maybe, maybe you're not saved because the Bible says there's objective evidence as a salvation. And so if we don't have fruit, we don't have salvation. Not that fruit saves you, but that if the converted heart is transformed... It bears fruit, all right? So you can't mix those up. You've got to get the order right. You've got to get the understanding right. And, and, and I know your pastor is not afraid to stand up here and say difficult things to you uh, out of his love for the Lord and his fear of the Lord um, and out of his deep love for you. And so that, that's not only why, I mean, I love him. I want to be up here. I want to help him in whatever he does. That's why I also want him to come and stand in front of the village. And, and so we try to fly E down um, once a year or so and have him come yell at us. And, and so I uh, appreciate that. Uh, I especially like it because, I mean, especially at the Flower Mound campus, um, we're a little bit more ethnically diverse than other places, but at the Flomo campus, which is kind of the main campus, it's, I mean, it's just Whitesville. So we like, what's up, God's people? And everybody's, oh, uh, uh, you know, they don't, I don't know. I don't know. Do we answer him? Do we answer him? We answer him? Okay. Great. And so uh, it's just kind of this awkward relationship. They really love it, you know. Afterwards, they're like, I love that guy. We need to have him back. Because, but during, it just is just tense. Just everybody's nervous. Um, so anyway, love him. So some of you have that religious perspective where you're defining your relationship with Christ by your behavioral modification. That's not the gospel. That's the enemy of the gospel. You tracking with that? Jesus came to kill that nonsense. N- not, to, n- not to give it to you in a new way, okay? And, and then some walk in with, a, with a, um, like an atheistic, secular worldview. And, and so just if we can be straight uh, in, in, in my attempt to respect you and love you and honor you, that means, if, if we can be honest with each other, you don't believe that there's such a thing called love? I mean, there's a thing called love, but it's just chemicals firing off in our brains. There's no such thing as beauty, there's, there's no, see, the, this worldview to me, even before I was a believer, was one that just didn't add up. Because if evolution says that we progress by the strong dominating the weak, then why would anyone ever care for the weak and those who are oppressed 
if that's simply nature's way of getting us back to or getting us to all that we're supposed to be in the creative order. Right, so it's silliness. So habitat for humanity, all, that's, all that kind of stand up for injustice, water for Sudan, all that stuff that's outside of the Christian worldview or really a, a worldview with God at the center makes no sense. You're actually fighting the very worldview that you ascribe to. All right? So it's a, it's a level of silliness that, that at some point you've got to come face to face with and then you, you've got no basis for morality. Why would you stay faithful to your wife? Why would you stay faithful to your husband? Why wouldn't you hoard all your money to yourself? Why wouldn't you? Because beauty, love, morality, all that stuff is just chemical reaction in our brains, culturally conditioned. Um, we believe those things because we're Americans in this place at this time, and, and we believe differently if we were um, Nigerians 100 years ago. Right? No, there's no universal truth. There's no kind of moral schema that, that should guide all of us. But it's, and so this is your worldview, and you see the lenses uh, you see the world through the lenses uh, of this view. Now, what Christ does when he teaches over and over again is he wants to deconstruct worldviews and he wants to reconstruct um, correct ones. Um, he wants to tap you into how he designed the universe to be. Okay? So let, let me, if you're a young preacher, seminary student, let, let me say this to you. You've got to be careful here because what young guys like to do is they just like to deconstruct. I mean, they just like to say, this is what's wrong with everything. But here's the problem. If that's all you got, everybody ends up homeless. If you deconstruct, but you don't reconstruct, then you haven't helped anyone. So I, I think there has to be a season where you watch your mouth and you try to learn the value in traditions and history. And then once you understand that, then you can innovate. But, but until you understand that, you'll, you'll be a divisive fool. Just be a divisive fool. Okay, so in, 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 my, in my world at the village... Um, one of the things I learned was we would look at vacation Bible school and we go, man, it doesn't really work. Basically what's happening is that people in the neighborhood are just dropping off their kids to us for us to babysit them while they go shop at the, the shops. It wasn't working. Uh, and so we just started talking about how it wasn't working. Uh, and I got three kids. I'm not, you take advantage of that free babysitter. You can find it. All right. Uh, I've got three mama, mama, drop them off and go shopping. I'm not against, I'm just saying in regards to sharing the gospel and really unpacking the gospel for people. Um, it, it wasn't working for what it cost and what it, and, and so we sat down and just started evaluating. And then we, we found these people were just like, I mean, just amped up that we would even consider it. And so we slowed it down, started having conversations. And here's what we learned. What, what we learned was that, um, that some people had a powerful experience with God in vacation Bible school. Some people saw their children saved at vacation Bible school. And so where we saw a tool that was no longer effective, we were touching something and talking about something that had a deeply profound impact on people's lives. And so if you're not careful about how you unpack that, then what you do is you disrespect people and you disrespect processes that in the end were very powerful in the lives of others. You discredit their spiritual experience. So I tell young guys all the time, and until you can grasp and understand the tradition behind you, shut up. And then when you can get a little bit of it and you understand, oh, that's what, okay, I see what they were doing there. I say, and I'm not saying things don't need to change. I'm not, I'm not saying things don't need to change. I'm just saying how you go about changing things is, is like a surgeon, um, not like a suicide bomber. Are, are you tracking? You, you, you gently cut, man. You don't just ram, blow yourself up with everybody else around you and then make it impossible for the guy that follows 
the death that you left there to bring about any long-term gospel change. Right? So learn, respect. There will be no glory for those of you who beat up old saints before our God. God will not go, hey, great job turning that ship. Now, you, you slaughtered a bunch of my boys who were faithful for decades before you came along. But so just be I mean, this, I'm off on a tangent right now. I've got to remember what I'm actually preaching. But um, so you've got to calm down. You've got to breathe. Listen, our kids are going to think something's wrong with what we're doing. Like all this innovation that we're doing, which really, by the way, you're not doing a lot of innovation. Uh, it's been the same. And where it's innovative, where it's never been done before, it probably shouldn't be done now for the, for the record. All right, it's timeless truth. That's what we stand on. That's what we rely on. Now, the, 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 the skin might change, but the meat and bones better already be the same, always be the same. Um, and if you don't think your kids are going to rebel against the way we're doing it, I mean, you just hadn't been around long enough because they're, they're going to, that's what we're doing. We're going, oh, our parents had some of it right. But man, there's some things that just don't work anymore. They just don't speak the way they used to speak. They're a tool that's no longer effective. Let's, let's, let's move on. Okay, um, and so everybody comes in with this worldview. Uh, everybody comes in with this understanding, and God wants to. Um, when Jesus speaks, He deconstructs and He reconstructs, and that's what we're going to watch Him do in Luke 15. He, he's going to address um, really two different worldviews simultaneously, um, and He's going to deconstruct both of them as being incorrect and reconstruct the correct one. Okay, let's go. 15, starting in verse one. And, and those who were in the hermeneutics course with me uh, yesterday, um, you, you'll see we'll have to do some work right out of the gate. Now, the who? Who's there? Tax collectors and who else? Sinners. We'll, we'll need to stop there. Now, this entire chapter, you understanding this chapter depends on you getting clearly the first two verses. You don't get the first two verses, you're not going to get what he's saying and what he's doing here. But we, we need to chat. Tax collectors and sinners have gathered to hear Jesus. Now, um, most of us, if you've got a background in church, what we understand about tax collectors, we probably learned in children's church, right? Zacchaeus was a what? He's a wee little man. He's a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree. Why? Because the Lord he wanted to see. And then Jesus comes up to the tree and says, Zacchaeus, what? You come down. Why? Because I'm going to your house today, right? And then they go and, and they eat at Zacchaeus's wee little house. I can't imagine that he, he's got a giant house being a wee little man, but he, they, they go, or maybe he's got a huge house because he's a wee little man. All right, that's probably more uh, like it. But um, he, he, they, they go and, and, and they eat and Jesus confronts him in his sin um, and he repents. And what we're told in children's church is that the tax collectors are hated because they... Um, they're supposed to take $20 from Rome, but instead they take $50 and they pocket that $30. Um, now, there was definitely some shadiness going on with the tax collector. So that's not untrue. It's just not the whole picture. All right? So at this point in history, Rome, a ruthless giant empire, is ruling the world from England to India. Are you tracking with that? England to India. That is a massive, massive bit of land. Okay? And they rule it ruthlessly. So I know we like to repaint it. You know, Gladiator comes out, Rome is the light, and they've got a little show on HBO or Showtime or whatever it is where Rome is this, hey, we're doing it, we're for the people, we're about the people. They were a ruthless empire that slaughtered hundreds of thousands of human beings. 
And in fact, there are historical records. We could step outside of the historical biblical text and, and you could go to the library and you could find where Rome sacked certain cities and crucified thousands, tens of thousands of men, women, and children along the roadside going into town. So that as the pagans, as the outsiders, as the dwellers of the hills would come into the city, they would have to pass through on both sides of the road, men, women, and children nailed to the cross, bleeding out in agony. It was just a simple message. Don't jack with Rome. Don't you rebel. This is how it ends. You, you don't jack with Rome. And, th and that's kind of what their plan was and what their mess. Now, he, here would be a question. If you're Rome and you rule in the first century from England to India, how do you do it? Um, because in, in the modern era, I'm, okay, I, I live in Texas. Texas is strange. If you're from Texas, you know. Don't pretend you don't know. It's just a strange place. So there are guys and girls in Texas that think Texas should be its own country. And some of them even like go out in the woods and play with guns, all right, and, and practice for the great day of rebellion. Okay, now... If the day ever comes, it's not going to take Washington four months to march an army down there to handle that. They're going to make a phone call. Some Apache helicopters are going to come in. Blah, 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 blah. Ten minutes later, it's over. All right? A bunch of dead rednecks on the, on the forest ground, and they fly back to D.C., and, and it's over. Right? Now, that's not the way it works in the first century. There's no phone calls that can be made. There's no helicopters to press. It's, it's man on man. You, you see who you kill, right? You, you, I mean, if it, if it goes bad, you see who you kill. You don't press a button from, you know, 2,000 miles away and kill people. You, you see who you kill. And, and so how do you rule um, an empire that large when you don't have modern technology? Well, you do it with a massive, massive army. So here's our question that gets us into the text. How do you pay for, fund, arm, and feed a massive, massive army? Taxes. Taxes. Uh, okay. So if we follow the storyline, you've got Rome, this wicked empire um, that brings a lot of cool things to history. And then even Rome's um, really contributions to, to humanity continue to this day. They built roads that are still being used to this day. There are elements of philosophical law that's still being implemented today that the Romans came up with. The Romans and the Greek and that uh, Hellenism kind of came up with. So brilliant but brutal. Um, brilliant but brutal, as most of the world was at that time. Okay, now, um, you, you've got Rome then raising taxes from an oppressed people to continue to oppress them. Are, are you tracking that? So... Zacchaeus isn't just taking 30 bucks, right? He's your next door neighbor who purchased from Rome the right to take money from you to fund an oppressing army that's probably killed somebody in your family. That's why they're hated. Not just because they took 30 bucks, because, but instead because they are financing terrorism at, at, a, at a level that as much as, as dark as we think the world is, um, we, we would have a hard time grasping. All right? the, the idea that you can just be thrown in prison and forgot about. The, 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 the thinking that you just be killed, crucified, slaughtered without a trial. These, these are foreign ideas to us that, that in the end is everyday life to them. And, and so if your neighbor, your neighbor is taking money from you, keeping you in poverty to pay for an oppressing force, 
that, that then is responsible for the death, imprisonment, or murder of, of someone in your family, you, you, you guys probably aren't tight. You're probably not having them over for dinner. You're probably not, there's some hatred there, which is why you can somewhat understand it when Jesus starts hanging out with them and everybody freaks out. All right, but, but don't miss this. They're drawing near to hear him. So, so these are not good men. They are wicked men. But God's doing something in them to draw them because they're coming to hear. Now, they're not the only ones that are there. I mean, this is an interesting crowd. You've got tax collectors, and then who else do you have? Sinners. Okay. In, in our culture, you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. Everybody's a sinner. Here's the list of rules. If you break these rules, you're a sinner. Okay. Um, in the first century, it's much more a class than it is simply an action. So um, you could be a sinner because of your job. So if you were a prostitute, if you were a slave trader, if you were, there were certain jobs you could have that would make you a sinner. Um, you could have a physical illness or a deformity, a birth defect, a disease, and you would be considered a sinner. Do you remember the story where they bring the lame man to Jesus and say, is it because of his sin or because of his parents' sin? And Jesus said, neither, neither, dummy. Um, this happens so that I might be glorified, get up and walk. And the guy pops up and walks, right? So it, it's a understanding that, oh, you got leprosy, you've sinned. But by the way, self-righteous people still fall into this. Self-righteous people still rejoice when bad things happen to people who they think are bad. They, they still rejoice in that. All right. They still go, just a matter of time, just a matter of time till the Lord got him. Just a matter of time till the Lord gets you. So that, that, we've got that group in the crowd. So tax collectors and sinners, they are, are drawing near. I want to make a quick distinction here because um, they're drawing near to here. What ends up happening, what I found in the Bible is what ends up happening is we take this idea of grace and we move it beyond its own definition. And, and so they're coming to here. Um, Jesus doesn't go and sit down with, with Zacchaeus and go, you know what, it's, it's all right. It's all right, we're cool. It's, it's all right, I'm going to show you grace. That, that's not, he's extended grace and Zacchaeus, what? He repents. He, he stops. He moves forward. So you've got to be real careful when you've got um, men or women who are not willing to repent, not willing to hear, not pressing in, not buying into the gospel, but are manipulating grace, manipulating truth, manipulating these things so, so to somehow curry favor or curry pity. Uh, we don't pity. We extend grace. Those two ideas are extremely different. And, and I don't, if I try to unpack that, we would be here till two and I got a flight to catch and a sexy wife and babies to kiss. So uh, we'll have to do that another time. She is, E. I'm just saying. Just saying. He who finds a wife finds what is good. Here we go. Okay. So you've got, you've got the tax collectors and sinners and they've drawn near, but they're not the only ones there. So let's look at who else is there. Verse two. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. Okay, so, um, so you've got the tax collectors and sinners, which, which, would be, which would be an extremely interesting crowd just to be in to begin with. And then you've got the Pharisees and scribes. Now, the Pharisees and scribes think that they are better than everyone else because they morally have behaved, have acted well. And so then they use that as ammunition to oppress 
So um, the tax collectors and sinners, probably excluded from temple worship, uh, aren't allowed in, are seen as unclean, unfit. They've been told that they're out. They've been told that they're unclean. They've been told that there's no part in the kingdom for them and have been excluded from worshiping the Lord, hearing the Torah, hearing the... They're they're outsiders. And, And then this group thinks they're in and they're in strong because they keep the law so well. And, and these two worldviews are, are both about to crumble under the teachings of Christ um, and be replaced with um, the correct worldview. So let's, let's pick it up in verse 3. He's going to just rip off three stories in a row. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? All right? And when he has found it, he lays it on its shoulders, rejoicing. Okay, so keep in mind who you've got in the crowd. You've got to hear these parables through the lenses of those who are in the crowd. You lose the one sheep. Who's the one sheep? The tax collectors and sinners. Who are the 99? The righteous. Jesus leaves the 99 and goes and finds the one to punish the one, right? To beat down the one, right? No, to pick the one up and put it on his shoulders and what? rejoice to celebrate that the tax collector and sinner are coming and hearing. So while the Pharisees and the scribes are grumbling that Jesus would even have anything to do with these guys, you've got Jesus going, man, I'm rejoicing that they're here. In in fact, I am come for you. I've I've come for them at this point in the story. Now we're going to get to We're going to get to them soon enough. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one until he, that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Listen to this. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. All right. So not only do I find it and rejoice, but then I want others to rejoice with me that he's found. Okay, uh, I, I, don't, I want you to rejoice with me that the lost sheep is found. You rejoice with me that the tax collector and sinner are drawing near and wanting to hear. Now, verses like this next verse are why they killed Jesus. Let's look at it, 7. Just so, but besides the fact that it's the preordained plan of God. Let's go. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Boom in the crowd. People tearing their garments, okay? Because Jesus just said, one tax collector that comes clean and repents, there's more joy over that than over 99 of you fools who just go, I've never done anything wrong. I mean, just deconstructed both their worldviews. All right? Um, We're so good that we are, I mean, God looks at us and goes, Thank you for repping me well. Thank you. I mean, because this crowd's giving me a bad name, but you guys, you guys are killing it for me. Thank you. Just such a picture of holiness. Just such a picture of goodness. People look at you and go, that's what I want to be. All right. That, that's how they think. All right. That, that's how they think. And Jesus is going, no, no, no. The, the power's in this guy who's coming forward and going, I'm unclean. Save me. And, and to see then the father rejoice over that. And, and then in, invite others into that rejoicing. And so he just says, heaven blows up. Not that 99 were good, but the one repented. Okay? And he'll, he'll unpack this a little bit more. 
All right. Um, he just moves right into the next parable. Or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found the coin that I had lost. Now, th- this is an interesting parable because the amount of the coin is not, when all said and done, significant. Um, it's not like if she doesn't find this coin, she can't eat. It's not like if she can't find this coin, she's going to get kicked out of her house. She's got about 10 days wages. She's lost one day's wage. Now, the, the truth is most men and women are living because of the taxes of Rome and because of the, the client. They're living day to day anyway. Uh, I mean, they're living day to day, getting their money, buying their food, going and working, getting money, buying food. She's got 10 days worth of wages saved up. Okay, so then in the middle of this, she loses this one coin and, and freaks out and basically takes her house and puts it in the yard and, to find this coin. Um, and then finds the coin and celebrates like she's found a billion dollars. Now, if we think back to who's in the crowd, um, you've got a large group of the crowd that thinks they're worth a lot. And, and then you've got a group in the crowd that thinks they're worth nothing. Um, it's been my experience as a pastor that men and women, because of their mommies and daddies and because of situations they got into, will begin to feel as though they are worthless and although the cross is not effective for them, which in the end is just as wicked as any of your behaviors. To, To say my sin is greater than the cross of Jesus Christ says that God, in his foreknowledge, made a mistake. It's idolatry. It's a wickedness. It says that you are more powerful than him. It's wicked, right? So I don't know what you did that year. I don't know what you were a part of that night. I don't know what shame owns your heart and makes it hard to believe that God could love you and embrace you. But the cross says, and this parable says, he'll rip the house to shreds trying to find you. And, and that he'll come after the unworthy one. He'll come after the wicked one. And when he finds it, when he finds the worthless one, he rejoices in him, rejoices in her. In fact, one of the most beautiful pictures of the gospel we've seen when we baptized men and women is that, that person coming, back, coming from a background where they were just a part of such shameful things that there was self-hate that led to all these other things um, that they were able to get in the water and go, no, I'm his. He finds me lovely. Uh, he, he calls me his. He calls me and then begins to testify that in him and because of him, uh, I'm, I'm lovely and forgiven and that's forgotten. And now what was meant for my destruction brings him glory. So in our last baptism service, there's a little girl that got in the water and just talked about elements of her life where she wanted this attention from her mom. Her dad died early. She wanted this attention from her mom, just kept seeking it and trying to seek it and just couldn't find her. Mama was working nights and sleeping all day. And so that attention seeking eventually turned itself over to boys. Um, started flirting online with boys, and then it led um, to just really dark, depraved sexual deviance. Um, and, and then she would hate herself for it and, and then move and try to hide from it. Um, but wherever you are, there you are. I mean, you, I don't care where you move. You, you'll be where you just moved to. And so if the problem is you, you can't beat you in a race. I mean, you're just not quick enough, all right? You get to the finish line and, and there you are. 
So you, you can't run from you. But that's the game she was trying to play. That's the lie she was believing. This place isn't working for me. Let me find a new place. This place isn't working for me. Let me find a new place. This, this place isn't working. Let me find. And then each time she would settle in and, and then it'd go dark again. She started craving that behavior, started create, craving attention, started craving. And it was out of her worthlessness or her feeling of worthlessness that she allowed such things to happen, allowed herself to be taken advantage of, traded in rich, genuine love for a cheap imitation, allowed herself to be used because she thought she was worthless. Now, she, and what made it even funnier, she's kind of homely looking, kind of like you would have never, I mean, you never, I mean, like shirt buttoned all the way to the top. I mean, just never would have guessed. I mean, come out of nowhere when you found out. And, and she's standing in the water and, and telling some of this. I mean, that's why I'm able to share it because she shared it in front of a lot of people. Um, and, and what was meant for shame, what the enemy meant to destroy her is now bringing glory to God as she sits in the water and says, this is who I was, but Christ has set me free. And, and so now... The coin is found and the coin is celebrated in. Um, and and where, where you are viewed as worthless in your own eyes or maybe in the eyes of the self-righteous, God's going, oh no, there's value. Enough value for me to rip up the house. Enough value for me to send my son. Uh, an, enough value for my son to be killed. Uh, enough value for Christ to reign in his power. Right? Does, he, does he not say, Peter, put away your sword? I could at any moment have at my disposal 12 legions of angels. And, and if we know the text, I mean, there's certain times angels just land on the ground, men wet themselves and black out. I probably added that first part, but we, we see, we see they, they fall out and become like dead men, including, now catch this, including men of God. It's not wicked people that fall out and go, oh, the Lord's here. All right? It's not the Lord. It's an angel. I mean, it's men of God. John, uh, exiled to Patmos. Angel shows up and he falls on the ground like a dead man, like a, like a dead man. And, and so you've got this really beautiful picture of Christ reigning in his power on the cross, knowing full well your wickedness long before your wickedness was there because he felt the weight of it, took it upon himself. And this is what he's unpacking in this second story. Now, here's the, here's the big one, um, the parable of the prodigal son. This one I mean, this one's known even by the secular world. You can use this language outside of church and people are like, you go, oh, the prodigal returns and people understand what you're saying. That's not true. In most biblical language, it's still true of the prodigal son. Okay, verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country and there he squandered his property in reckless living and when he had spent everything a severe famine arose in that country now let let me be uh, i felt when i came to know the lord that i kind of got tricked in uh now i know theologically what happened but i felt a little bamboozled um and I'll t- because the what i responded to was do you want joy do you want life do you want do you want to not go to hell do you want i'm like i mean who says no to that I mean, who says no? I'm not saying, and, and I wasn't seven. I understand why a seven-year-old answers a certain way to, do you want to go to heaven to mom and dad or do you want to burn in hell? <laughs> I understand why a seven-year-old goes, heaven, please, let's get baptized. All right, I understand that. And, and so we end up baptizing them 15 years later when they're actually converted, but that's neither here nor there, okay? Now, uh, in, in the end, I came up because I'm, I'm going, I want joy, I want happiness, I want life, I want those things. 
No one said to me that Christ was going to ruthlessly, ruthlessly come after every area of my life and heart. So no one said, because that's not as attractive as an offer. You want joy, you want life, you want... And see, now I understand how those two are tied together. But, but nobody pitched that to me early on. So then when Jesus goes, I, I want that, that's mine now too. I was like, this? Yeah, that's mine, that's mine too. And so I didn't know. I didn't know life of your mind, that's mine. Your hobbies, that's, that's mine. Your money, that's mine. Your, um, your, your house, that's mine. Your relationship, that's mine. You, 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 you get me now. That, that's what you get. And, and I'm better than all of that. And so you, got, you can't get confused what the gospel message is. The gospel message is not that if you know and believe the gospel, that good things happen to you. I mean, that's so biblically incorrect, historically incorrect. What you get is God, and God's enough no matter what. And so I, I get to preach that anew as a brother who was told just a couple months ago that I've only got a couple years to live. Now, that, that's what doctors know. That's not what God knows. I, I, think, I'm, I think I get 70 and wrinkles and get just angry just grow old and angry because you can get away with stuff as you get older that you can't get away with when you're 30 like you rip off something when you're 30 that's like uh uh-uh but if you're you know you're 70 you pop off and it's like crazy he's crazy so I'm I'm gonna get that I've asked the Lord for that I'm just like just let me get old and crazy just give me that's all I want I want that please give that to me so I can stand now with a beautiful wife and three beautiful babies and the possibility, although not the probability, uh, that I've only got a couple of years left and tell you, he, he's better than my beautiful wife. And he's better than, the, than getting to walk my girl down the aisle. And, and he's better than, than watching my son become a godly man. And, and, and he, he's better than those things. So I get him, and, and that's the gospel. And, and that's the gospel. So I, I say all that because in this text, what you have happening is, is you have a son going, my father's house is great, but I, I think outside of sonship, I might be able to become something even greater. So we do this all the time. We go, yeah, but, and, and then we go, yeah, this is the word, this is the will, this is what God would have us do, um, but you're just living out Romans 1, believing the lie over the truth of God, believing that you're smarter than the one who created and wired all things. So your way of handling sex is better than God's design for it. Cul-de-sac of stupidity. All right? That your way of handling your mind is better than God's design for your mind. That's the cul-de-sac of stupidity. All right? And on and on we could go here. You going, I know what he said and I know he created everything and I know he wired everything, but I'm smarter despite the fact that I'm here today, gone today. I'm smarter. Um, and, And so you begin to live like a fool, and and I'll say this to you, to say no to sonship is to say yes to slavery. So you don't want to be a son, you get to be a slave. That's what you get to be. And usually a slave to something stupid. So I'll I'll give you, I'm in Dallas, and I probably, I don't even know if I should mention this here. This might be uh, the one whose name should not be named in Philly. But in in Dallas, there's a cult, quite large cult, uh, called the Dallas Cowboys. And so... (laughs) It's massive, giant house of worship, uh, biggest house of worship in our state, and we got some monsters in our state, all right? I mean, we've got some monsters in, in Texas, just stadiums filled with, with people in Texas. But the biggest one is, is in Arlington, and it's brand new Jerry World. You can probably see it from here on a clear day, okay? Just 
massive. And, and here's what I get from men in our church. Like certain guys in our church be like, oh man, I just can't, man, I, I try to read the Bible, I just don't get it. I'm trying to understand. I'm just not a good reader. I just don't read well. But can then rattle off everybody on that roster where they went to college and how many yards they rushed for as a sophomore in high school. So here, you're a slave. You're a slave. And you're stupid. I mean, you're a slave to the You're a slave to what 23-year-olds do with a ball. I mean, that's a dumb kind of slavery, isn't it? Worshiping at that altar. It's just profoundly silly. Okay, we'll pick it back up in 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered, squandered his property in reckless living. Um, As a pastor, one of the things I see, so I'll tell you what I believe. Out Out of Psalm 139, I see that the Lord made you fearfully and wonderfully. And women's ministry has kind of hijacked that verse and they owned it. But, but that verse isn't about women. It's about all humanity. Are you, are you tracking? That's not, that doesn't just belong on a pink shirt. Are you tracking? That, that doesn't just belong with a flower right here. All right? That's, that's all of us. All of us. Psalm 139. Yeah, so if you read that text, what that text says is, that God has designed us internally, so our personality, and he has designed us externally, our form. Um, so in my case, he gave me a big voice. Like it just te- tends to go, I mean, I taught four hours yesterday, did the nine o'clock, doing this day, going home, preaching tomorrow to our staff, hop a plane Wednesday, go up to Louisville and preach for an hour there, come back, do our services at the village, then head to Orlando for a couple of days, and I'm, my voice is just going to work. And because what happened, according to the text, is God's knitting me together in Janet's womb and going, give me some more folds. Give me some more vocal folds. Cut a little bit more. A little bit? Okay, there we go. He's good. So, I mean, one of the ironies of my life is that what I used to get beat and grounded for, people now pay me money for. All right? So I had no inside voice as a kid, so I'm a fourth grader going, what'd you put for three? And then, and then now people go, get up there and yell. Get up there and yell. So it's just, it's kind of full circle. So the Lord, the Lord knit me together because he knew my days. So here's the plan I have for him. Here's what he's going to need for that. And he gives it to me. Okay. But, but then he also, um, he also puts together my personality. So I'm not a loud voice without a certain personality. I've been given a certain personality. You're the same way. God has created you, knit you together in your mama's womb, giving you personality, giving you times, giving you... Uh, talents, giving you leanings. Like some of you, man, you just, you got a mind for business. I mean, you just got a mind for bit. You've got a mind for music. You, you've got a mind for art. You've got a mind for, I mean, I don't know, you, you're mechanical. Uh, I mean, you can fix stuff. You can break stuff down. You can engineer stuff. You, you can, you work on your own car. But not me. I don't work on my own car. All right. I, I call and have to make noises and embarrass myself. All right. It's just not a, it's not a, like somebody help me with this. I can put some gas in it. That, that's the extent of my mechanical knowledge. But some of you have been given that. Um, some of you are intellects, you're a reader, you're a thinker, you're a digester, you're a, you, you've been given that. You, you didn't decide to have that. You were given that and you were given that by God, for God. And I have to wonder if many of you aren't squandering it. Because because Acts 17 would say that the times and places of your dwelling were set by God. So now you've been wired by God, gifted by God, 
and placed by God. And if we read that Acts 17 uh, text, it says, so that men might find him, though he is not far from any of us. So that, so that means that you've been gifted, wired, and placed so that men and women might see the glory of God in Christ. To be using it for any other reason is squandering in reckless living what God gave you to point to him. So the trick then is figuring out how do I use business savvy for the kingdom? Uh, how do I use mechanical inclination for the glory of God? Um, how do I use art, music? How, how do I live missionally and in regards to reconciliation in this domain that God has gifted me and placed me in this city at this time? You, you've got to wrestle with that question and answer it, or you squander, or you squander. Okay, let's keep going. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. Now, I'm, I'm going to say this to you, and I, I mean, you, if you want to argue with me, you, you can email Eric, and he'll talk with you about it, all right? But <laughs> God's going to love some of you hard. You tracking with that? He will light you up to get your hands off the things of this world. The, uh, the scariest idea in Scripture is the idea of passive wrath, which means that God extends wrath to you, not actively, but by simply going, okay, okay, go on, go do what you want to do. That's passive wrath. That's what's happening in Romans 1 when it says he turns them over to do what ought not be done. That's not God going, all right, lightning bolt. That, that's God going, okay, you want that? Go, go get it. It's the idea of passive wrath, and it is terrifying. But for some of you, God's going to love you too much for that. He's going to blow you up. He is going to break your arms, break your legs, break your will, let you suffer, let you cry, let you hurt, not because he hates you, not because it's punitive, but because he loves you and he would rather you hobble here and dance with him than dance here and, and not get any more of him, right? And, and so, this, so God loves our boys so much here that he sends a famine. I mean, that's, that's coming strong. I, I got a seizure. This brother gets a famine. So God loves me like JV level, all right? I mean, he's blowing up a whole country to get our boy here. Okay, let, let's go. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out, all right, to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Let's look at 17. But when he had came to himself, he said, but many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. 18. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your servants. Now, I love this text because it's very real life. He's, an, he's a phenomenal storyteller because almost anybody in this room can remember when you were a teenager or maybe in your late 20s and you knew you were busted and you were headed home and you were practicing your speech in your head. You're going, oh, no, Dad, what had happened was we, were, we, went, that's, we went where you, where I told you we were going, but then, you know, um, Keith needed to run to the store, and so I got in his car, and then he ended up not going to the store, so it was Keith. It wasn't me. It was Keith who then drove us to that party, because I, I was going to the church, and Keith said he was driving, and so we practice that story. He, that's what he's, he's practicing the story. He's going to go, hey, I'm, I'm sorry, just let me be one of your servants. Now, if we get back to the audience, both of them at this point are kind of perking up. 
All right, because the, the, the tax collector and sinner is hearing so far, I, I love you and I'm for you. And now our boy who has run away rebelliously is saying, I, I want to come home and, and I'll be a servant. And so, now, so here's the catch. And both, both sides are going to perk up right now because in this, I'll be my father's servant. Now the tax collectors and sinners going, okay, what's it going to cost me? And, and, and the self-righteous are going, what's it going to cost them? Because we haven't done what they've done, so it's not fair if they get in now. Okay, so there's got to be some things for them to do to get in with us. Not, really, not realizing yet in the parable, despite how focused Christ has been, that us ain't us. You know, he's not trying to get them here to here. He's trying to get here to, to here. Okay, and, and that's what we're going to find uh, as he unpacks us. So watch this story. And if you put yourself in that crowd, how it smelt, what you saw, prostitutes, cripples, um, crip, cripples um, skin diseases, um, lame, blind, um, wealthy tax collectors, Pharisees, scribes, quite the crowd. And, and then look at how he's going to unpack the back half of this. All right. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, now watch this. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, remember the rehearsed line? The next part is, I'll just be your servant. I'll just be your slave. I'll just, I'll live out here with them. I don't need to be in the house anymore. And the father won't even let him say it. Look at 22. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found and they began to celebrate now what's what's going on in the crowd well well i can tell you this side over here is blowing up i mean they're weeping they're they're going we, we we're in and we just come and in this side over here if they hadn't already left <laughs> is now enraged and if we just stopped the story there then then we would have a basis to hate the older brother and point at the older brother go, uh-huh, this is, this is you right here. You're the Pharisees and scribes complaining about, and as if the kingdom of God was for these, but there wasn't grace and mercy for these. But the parable doesn't stop there because God is saving among the religious. So, so watch him begin to go after what from here on out we'll call the older brother. Now the older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So now I... I didn't have a huge party background, but if you're a couple miles out and you can hear dancing, I mean, they're blowing it up. If you can hear in the distance a celebration, that, I mean, maybe if you're line dancer, I don't know. Okay, I don't, that's not my background. It's not my background. Okay? And he called, now here's just a key, just a real key to older brother stuff, self-righteous stuff. 26. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. See, the older brother's not really interested in talking to the father. He doesn't want to go to the father and go, what's happening here? So instead, he'll gather around maybe some other older brothers and and run his mouth. What's happening up at the house? What's the music? I I smell steak. What's happening? What's, What's happening? All right, he'd rather talk to the servant than talk to the father. And this is older brother stuff. Love to get together and, and run their mouth. Um, and it also lets us into just 
another one of those objective evidences. Prayerlessness in the life of a saint is an oxymoron. It's just an oxymoron. You, you don't pray, and I'm not saying you wake up at 5 and, and go till 6.30 in deep, tearful prayer. Now, the Lord might give you seasons like that. You should thank Him for it, okay? But, but I'm saying if you have a relationship with God that's devoid of a relationship with God, then you might be stuck in some sort of religious trap, okay? So don't want to talk to the Father. Want to, want, to, want to talk to others, okay? Look at the servant's answer. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he was received back safe and sound. Listen, but he was angry and refused to go in. Now, uh, I want to stop there um, because I, I was converted into... Um, what I can look back on now and see is a real kind of legalistic kind of, here's your, like when, when I went to church, you know, after I was converted, there was a checklist on the offering envelope. There was, did you read your Bible daily? Uh-huh. Are you giving today? Uh-huh. Is some of that going to missions? Mm-hmm. You, you literally had a checklist, okay? And then there was this kind of known checklist that wasn't always verbalized, all right? Did you see a rated R movie that was not about Jesus Christ? Are you listening to music that's secular, all right? The whole sec sacred secular idea is flawed to begin with, right? You can't have a Christian muffler shop. <laughs> you might be a Christian man that runs a muffler shop, but your muffler shop is not Christian. I mean, I'm glad you got the Iclus out on your sign, okay? Muffler shops don't have a soul. They can't invite Christ into them. Okay, the muffler shop cannot say, come save me, all right? So I, I, don't, know what you, I, I don't know what you do when, when you start taking music and you start taking certain things and going, um, this is sacred, this is secular, especially when you've got, uh, there's a rich history of God redeeming and using what might not have been built specifically for him and about him to draw to him. Amen. Amen. It's just the truth. Um, and so now, we, we've got some wisdom we need to exercise here, all right? I mean, if something's just rugged, just horrible, I mean, just wicked and depraved, I, I, don't, I don't know that you should be pumping a lot of that into your brain. Uh, but, but in the end, to create a list that's outside of Scripture and then to deem all of that under your wisdom is, is legalism. It's, it's legalism. And, and so I'm, I'm in that environment and, and so start to hate it. Start to hate that everything I do, everything I see gets put through this grid that's in the end extra biblical, but people want to argue about because it's wise. All right? Never willing to acknowledge that maybe I can do that and not, not lead me to sin where you do that and lead you to sin. Not wanting to be honest about the nature of how God wired us and created us. Um, and, and so in that, here's what I learned. Um, as I began to do ministry, I had a real heart for people who didn't know the Lord and people who did and were self-righteous, I tended to just have a disdain for. Now, I'd just become what I hated. I just flipped the roles. That, that's all I did. Instead of being self-righteous, hating the sinner, I came over with the sinner and hated the self-righteous. Same problem, it's just reversed. But watch how the father responds because the father, because even when I first got to the village, my, my thing was give me... G give me the hurting, give me the lost, give me the, but, but keep, you know, keep the hyper-religious folk at First Baptist. Now, we we want to reach young and raw and angry and addicted and just pagan. That's who we want to go after. I don't, we don't have any time for this. 
But, but that's not how the father responds to the old son. He, he doesn't stay in and celebrate and go, he wants to pout, let him pout. That, that's not, that's not the, the response of, hey, we're doing our thing here and it's working, so you just stay there and die. That, that's not what the father does. So let's pick it back up in 28. But he was angry and refused to go in, but his father came out and what? Entreated. It's the word pled. He pleads with him to come in. So he goes outside to the religious. He goes outside to those who are self-righteous and he goes, what are you doing, man? Don't you hear the music? Don't you smell the steak? Get in here. Get, get in here. And then as usual, the, the self-righteous always want to argue. So let's, let's look at it. But he answered his father, look at these many years that I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never even gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. I mean, I'm just baffled. I'm baffled by the text. I'm even baffled by his request here. You've got the party of the millennium going on over here, all right? I mean, music's blowing up. Everybody's dancing, steaks on the grill, wine's being served, not, and not wine in a box. Are you tracking? All right. It, there's, no, there's no cardboard around the wine being served, all right? Absolutely blowing it up with the family. Little brother's there, father's there, whole family's there, just blowing this thing up. And what's the older brother do? Give, give me a goat and let me hang out with my friends. What a cheap substitute. So instead of joining God in what he's doing, a celebration of reconciling all things to himself, instead it stands outside and rejoices in itself with its little goat. I, it's a sad trade, man. I mean, I think there's some stupid exchanges to make. That's one of them. Party of the millennium, goat with your friends, all right? Filet, goat. And I'm not, dis- if, you like, if you like you some goat, okay, I'm just saying, I, I think it's a bad trade. And, and there's not a lot of restaurants that specialize in goat, okay? Not a lot of brothers go, it's a great goat place just down the road. You want to go, you want to get a little goat leg, we'll go, we'll go down there and, and do that. You don't hear that a lot, right? We, but there's tons of filet spots, steak joints. All right, you, and, and so you're being invited into this very big thing and instead wanting to stay outside with your little thing because when it's small, you get to make much of you. And when it's big, you got none but the father. Because when you're over here, you've got, I mean, it, it's his fatted calf, it's his robe, it's his ring, it's his house, it's his band, it's his dance, it's his. But when you're out with your friends, you get to celebrate the little goat because it's small and tiny. Because you look real big when everything else is real small. All right, but then you come in where things are big then all of a sudden you're small and that's, that's just uncomfortable for some people. So they'd rather stay out with their moral righteousness and go, look how good I am, instead of get under the holiness of God and see that even that righteousness is viewed as filthy. So even the fact that you obeyed all the commands is a stench in the nostrils of God Almighty. So we stay outside with our goat. And, and that's been some of you, man. Some of you see works of God going on. You just refuse to enter in because of some, this piece or that piece or this piece. You'd just much rather stay with your friends, your crew, your way of thinking, eating your little goat, rejoicing in you. And, and I think you've got a lame life ahead of you, but that's on, I mean, that's on you and the Lord extending mercy to you, okay? And, and so my, my, my hope here is that we might have, if we're on this side of things and we think we're unworthy or we think we're wicked or we think um, the cross is going to work for us and grace and mercy is great and it works for some people but we've gone too far, that we might hear from Jesus and see in the cross that's simply not true and we'd line our lives up with the truth of the fact that he canceled 
the record of debt. Which means he knew. He, he knew what you owed him. That he takes on our sin. He felt the weight of our sin and went to the cross with the joy set before him. What joy? The purchase of many sons. So that all of your sins are future sins when he heads to that cross. Okay? So that you might get under what Jesus did for you. Might get under what God paid for you in Christ to reconcile you to him. And, and then if you're over here, then man, you've just been nailing that quiet time for a decade. All right, 6.30, you're up. You're reading my utmost for his highest. You're, you're listening to Lecrae. You're, I mean, you're doing all you're supposed to do. You, you are, you've got everything checked off. You don't do that. You don't drink this. You don't go here. You don't go. And, and those things make much of you. And you like that maybe in some circles you are made much of because of that, that, that you would hear and see in the text that Christ had to go to the cross for that nonsense also. That Christ has to go bleed and die and be slaughtered because of that silliness too. That you would trust in your own righteousness. In fact, the, the sign of the fall out of Romans 1 is that you fail to acknowledge him. This is just as much failing to acknowledge your need for God as is this. The pagan that says, I have no need of God, is just as idolatrous as the one that says, I'm so good I don't need God. I'm so good I don't need his grace. I'm so good I don't need to sing and, and contemplate uh, and, and surrender even my righteousness over to him. And, and so what happens when we join Christ in what he's doing is, is we grow in holiness uh, all the while calling and rebuking men and women who, who want to walk away from it, but, but all the while reminding them that the fatted calf is here, the party's here, the celebration's here, come and join together and let's walk together and celebrate together until all things have been made new. And so that's my hope for a piff, and not even just for a piff, but uh, as the kingdom goes out and churches are planted and um, churches die and, and new churches take their place, and, and just for the record, I, I love a piff, I love the village, but I... 50 years from now, I could care less if the village is there or not. I mean, they, nobody's going to be talking about the village in, when we're in glory. They're not going to call us by name. Village, stand up. I mean, it's just not happening, all right? There, there's one name. There's one. So if, if 30, 40 years from now, the village is over and the church shuts down, we shrink to the point where, no, you know, we, we, we kind of grow old and we grow stale and then it dies out. And then people have just kind of spread out to other places and strengthen the kingdom in other places. Then we won, man. We won. There's one name we're trying to build. One name of Piff's trying to build. One kingdom we're building. It's not, it's not this kingdom. It's not Acts 29, the network we're in. It's not, we're not building those kingdoms. Um, being faithful with our run, our 40, 50-year run before we get to go home and join in with the saints. And, and then this will continue. And there'll be a new Emay speaking at conferences. There'll be a new Matt Chandler speaking at conferences. There'll be new guys writing books. There'll be new... I mean, it, it just keeps going until he ends it all. And, and so my, my prayer is that we keep all that in perspective. We'd humble ourselves before the Lord, that we would show a great deal of grace and mercy to the tax collectors and sinners who are listening, and that we would show a great deal of grace and mercy to the self-righteous, uh, and that we would confront both in love and the hopes that the gospel might right them. Okay, let's pray. Father, I thank you for um, just the weekend. Uh, I thank you for strength. Um, I thank you for energy, um, and I thank you that you love us like you do. In fact, the evidence of your love for us is seen here this morning. Um, if we're self-righteous, you've brought us here to confront our self-righteousness, and that's your love. 
And if we've come in today thinking that we're not worthy and thinking that we're um, beyond you, um, beyond your cross, you've brought us in here to hear that. If we've come in today and our worldview is a religious one, um, where um, moral, um, really moral transformation is our God, that, that you've brought us here to confront that, uh, to engage that, and to reveal that. And so my hope is that we would hear, uh, we would hear deeply, and that it would press on our hearts and lead us to repentance. Uh, I thank you that repentance is not something that's a, a one-time deal, um, but God, it's something that you do and call us to repeatedly. Uh, and so help us, we need you. We really are prone to wonder. We really are weak and feeble. We really do run back to our own vomit often. Um, and so I thank you for your grace and mercy in that. We love you. And that's for your beautiful name. Amen. Thanks for having me. Let's, um, let's bless the Lord for Pastor Matt Chandler coming through and hanging with us for the weekend. Um, every word from God deserves a response.